Open with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. This morning we're finishing a a mini-series where we've been focusing on some key things that happened in the life and ministry of Jesus that led to his crucifixion and resurrection, but then culminated with his ascension back into heaven. I've titled our study today, The Ascension of Our King. Our main text is going to be Luke 24, verses 49 through 53. And you know, coming off the heels of of Easter and our Easter celebration last week, I thought about how we can easily put so much emphasis on Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, but maybe forget at times how important and powerful Jesus' ascension is also. So before jumping back into our study through the book of Acts and continuing verse by verse as we get into Acts chapter 21 next week, we're going to look at the importance of Jesus' ascension this morning. And so we're going to approach our text a little bit differently. I said we're going to be looking at verses 49 through 53, but we're going to start with verses 50 through 53, and then we're going to focus on verse 49 and see how that all ties in together along with some other verses and how that's all connected to Jesus' ascension. So let's look at verses 50 through 53 of Luke chapter 24. Luke records for us here, Luke 24, starting in verse 50. And he, speaking of Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. I I love this whole ascension scene, and we see more details in Acts chapter 1. These are things that took place 40 days after Jesus' resurrection. Acts chapter 1, Luke tells us that for 40 days, Jesus was appearing to his disciples, that he was speaking to them about things pertaining to the kingdom of God, that he was revealing himself in his resurrected state. Paul even tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that at one time he appeared to over, I think, 400 individuals. And so this is now at the tail end of that. 40 days after his resurrection, we're seeing this final thing here. And the very last thing Jesus' disciples would remember of him being physically with them before he ascended to heaven in a cloud was him lifting up his hands and blessing them. He, you know, I think when we read, like, let's say Matthew 28, where Matthew is just kind of giving us a really final, quick snapshot of, like, what was happening there at the very end before Jesus Jesus ascended, we might think that the commission was sort of the the final thing that Jesus parted with. That as Jesus was parting in the clouds, he's going, go and do all these things and I'm going to be with you. But that that actually happened before this final bit that we're reading here in Luke 24. 
the last thing, Jesus didn't end his time of earthly ministry with his disciples in this final moments by giving a command to go do something. That did happen before this, but no, he ended his time with them by speaking blessings to them. Speaking blessings to them. And the impact of Jesus' blessings towards them is seen in the disciples' response in verses 52 and 53. They worshiped Jesus and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And what characterized their lives after Pentecost is seen in them being continually in the temple praising and blessing God. You know, this could have been the saddest day in the disciples' lives because the reality for them now was that they wouldn't physically see Jesus again until death or the rapture, whatever came first. But instead, it was one of the most joyous days of their lives because Jesus had blessed them. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that as Jesus was parting in the clouds, he's just going, bless you, my children. Bless you. I think the speaking of blessings was like him speaking promises. It was him speaking things to them that would have imparted hope to them. That would have imparted confidence to them. He's not just going, bless you, and bless you, and bless you, and bless you, and and I've got all the blessings. Bye, guys. No, he's speaking things that left them feeling blessed, left them feeling encouraged, left them feeling hopeful and hope-filled. Understand that You know, just as Jesus' death and resurrection was a necessity, his ascension was also a necessity. And while there's, you know, many different things that we can look at in regards to the importance of Jesus' ascension and what his ascension means for us, I want to focus on just three of those things this morning that I pray will leave us feeling blessed. That we could see that these things are part of the blessing of Jesus toward us in His ascension. That we would read these things that are connected to the ascension of Jesus and go, wow, we are really blessed people because, not only because of just Jesus Himself, but because of this amazing thing that we know as the ascension of of Jesus. And so the first thing I want to focus on and highlight this morning in regards to the importance of Jesus' ascension is that he is preparing a place for us. Check out what Jesus said to his disciples in John 14 verses 1 through 3. Jesus spoke this you know right before he was going to be betrayed. John 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. 
In my father's house are many mansions or many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. You know, Jesus' ascension isn't meant to trouble our hearts. It wasn't meant to trouble the disciples' hearts, but bring joy to our hearts. Because for those of us who have received Jesus' salvation, he's gone to prepare a place for us in heaven, an eternal dwelling, a glorified body for each of us. And one day when we go to meet him, whether that's through death or him coming into the clouds to rapture his bride as church, he will receive us to himself. That where he is, there we will be also. You ever thought about what is going to make heaven so great? You know, what, what are the things in heaven that seem really attractive to us? You know, I think sometimes when we think of it, maybe if we grew up in the church, the kinds of images that we have in our head are, Streets of gold and pearly gates. And if we, you know, had maybe not as biblically centered of a upbringing, we're thinking of these weird baby angel things with harps. Not biblical, first of all. But, you know, we, we have maybe some things in our mind we think, wow, heaven's going to be awesome. But what's really going to make heaven awesome is that Jesus is there. Jesus, I mean, if Jesus wasn't there, heaven's not going to be so great. The fact that he's there and, and that he's going to bring us to himself, that he wants us to be with him for all eternity, that's what's going to make heaven so amazing. What if Jesus said, I'm going to come get you, and then I'm going to leave you in heaven, but I'm going somewhere else because I don't want to be around you guys. We'd be like, well, thanks a lot, Jesus. Kind of messed up. No, he goes, I'm, coming to, I'm going to come receive you that where I am, you would be too. You would be also. And if Jesus hadn't ascended, that promise would not be ours. Yes, Jesus was going away, but he's coming back again. It, it was necessary that he ascended to heaven so that he would go and prepare for the day when we get to meet him face to face. It's Jesus' ascension that's making for us a glorious homecoming and the promise that we will be with Jesus forever guys i'm not going to try to like sugarcoat what may or may not be in this earthly life i think oftentimes we want to be so hopeful that we might give false assurances but when i say this phrase i want you to know that i'm not saying it in regards to what i think will be the outcome 
of the physical existence for us, but what means for us eternally. That truly, in light of what Jesus has said, better things await us. Again, I'm not, you know, I think we want to sort of, no, it's going to get better. But I can't make that promise because first of all, when I look at the prophetic scene in end times, it's not getting better. It's going to get much, much worse. But in the scheme of eternity, in light of the promises of Jesus, in light of the ascension of Jesus, in light of the homecoming that awaits you and me, truly, you and I can be confident that better things await us. Because Jesus said, I'm coming for you. I'm going to come for you. That where I am, you're going to be also. And if we are with Jesus, there is no better place that you and I can be. Amen? Better things do await. So he's preparing a place for us. That's the first sort of thing to highlight. The second, though, in regards to the importance of Jesus' ascension, what it means for us, is that number two, he is interceding for us continually as our high priest. He's interceding for us continually as our high priest. Check out what we're told in Romans 8, 34 and Hebrews 7, verses 24 and 25. First, Paul in Romans 8, 34 says, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. And then the author of the book of Hebrews in Hebrews 7, 24 and 25 said, But he... Speaking of Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Not only has Jesus gone to prepare a place for us so that he can receive us to himself, but notice that his ministry on our behalf, again, for those who are saved, continues in this promise that he ever lives to make intercession for you and me. What that means is that Jesus, as our great high priest, is constantly and continually bringing us before his Father. And I think one major aspect of why this is necessary is because our spiritual enemy, Satan, who's known as the accuser of the brethren, continually brings accusations against us. And here's the thing. Satan probably has a lot he can accuse us of because we are prone to wander. We blow it. I mean, if we think about it from that perspective, he probably has a list longer than we could even come up with of how jacked up that we are. Of why that God shouldn't have anything to do with us because we're sinners. 
But Jesus is able to stand up as our great high priest, our mediator, our advocate, and can point to what he's done and provided and given to us, his blood shed for our sins, his salvation given to us by grace through faith, his righteousness that's been imputed to our account. Jesus can point to those things to the Father and go, no, but they're mine. That's my son, that's my daughter. I've saved them, I've forgiven them, I've reconciled them to you, Father, but my shed blood they are now accepted in the beloved they are righteous in your eyes because they're in me guys it was necessary that jesus ascended to heaven in order that he would be able to be our faithful high priest and mediator in heaven before the father His ascension brings great comfort and encouragement to those of us who know Christ, knowing that he will never stop interceding for you and for me. Jesus has got our backs. He's got our back. He's constantly thinking about us. I love how the psalmist would write, Lord, your thoughts are greater, your thoughts towards us are greater than the sands on the seashore. That's a lot of sand. I mean, that's not even just one beach worth of sand. All the beaches in all of the world, in all of the sand that's underneath all of that, what we don't even see that's under the water. All of that doesn't even get close to meeting how much Jesus is always constantly thinking about you and me. That's a lot of thoughts. That's a lot of thinking. That's a lot of care. That's a lot of watchfulness. And he's looking at us And his thoughts aren't so numerous that he's going, man, I just, ah, you know, his thoughts are like irritated thoughts. You know, when you think about all of our thoughts, our thoughts are not all positive all the time. Right? If we're honest, step up here. If we were to count up all the thoughts, I don't know what balance we would have, you you know, for each of us, positive and negative, maybe one would outweigh the other at times. But when Jesus thinks about you and me, his thoughts are motivated by his great love, his great compassion, his great desire to see his work accomplished in our lives, his desire to see us grow in the grace and knowledge of himself, his desire to move and work in our circumstances and to intervene to use us in ways that will bring him glory, that will further his kingdom. His thoughts toward us are good thoughts. He's not plotting how he can mess us up. He 
He's interceding for you and me continually. And that's, that's amazing. Again, this is something that now we get to have the confidence of because of his ascension. So he's preparing a place for us. He's interceding for us continually as our high priest. But the third and final thing I want us to focus on, and we're going to spend some more time on this morning, the importance of Jesus' ascension, what it means for us is that he's provided us with power through his spirit. He's provided us with power through his spirit. First, when considering how Jesus' ascension has provided us with power through his spirit, we have to take note that it began with a promise. Let's check out what we're told in Luke 24, 49, that verse that I left out earlier, and also Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. First, in Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Endued. No? Anyone? You don't ever read endued and think that? Like, endued. Endued. Anyways, sorry. That's just me. Moving on. Acts 1, verses 4 and 5. We're told in being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait, again, for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. See, the ascension of Jesus is connected to the promise of the Father that Jesus spoke about in Luke 24, 49, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And the two cannot be separated. See, without Jesus' ascension, there would be no outpouring of the Spirit, no power from on high, and no Acts chapter 2 throughout the rest of the New Testament. As Jesus prepared his disciples for his ascension, that he was no longer going to physically be with them, he left them with encouraging, comforting, and needed promises. First, that he would be with them always, even to the end of the age. We see this in Jesus' great commission in Matthew chapter 28. And second, that he would send the promise of the Father upon them, but that they were to wait in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. Both of these passages that Luke records for us are are so important to us as believers in Jesus today. It, It began with a promise, a promise that came straight from the mouth of Jesus about what the Father would do in giving his spirit, a promise that Jesus said he had already told his disciples about. And I believe Jesus here is referencing what he told his disciples back in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. Check out what Jesus said in that passage. He said, Luke eleven nine. 9, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, 
And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or he asks, if he asks for his fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In the original language here in the Greek, Jesus is literally saying, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking in regards to us coming to the Father in prayer in need of the Holy Spirit and that when we do that, He will give us His Spirit. We're to come to the Father in that way because He wants to give His Spirit to us. But, but look again at Luke 24, 49. Jesus again says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. I, I want us to understand that the things Jesus is saying here is a separate teaching and occasion that, that took place 40 days after they received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it was the moment of their salvation. It's 40 days after that. They received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Actually, back in, Acts, uh, in John chapter 20, that same day that Jesus was erect, resurrected and he showed up in that room where they had the door locked and he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. That was the moment of his disciples' salvation in the sense that we know it. And this is really important for us to understand and be clear about. See, here in verse 49, Jesus isn't saying that they're going to receive the indwelling of the Spirit of get again. He's not saying that they're going to get re-saved because that's not even biblical. No, this is now a different aspect or dynamic of relationship that we can have with the Holy Spirit of God that Jesus is talking about when he says that there's still a promise to come, to wait for it, to tarry in Jerusalem where they would be baptized with the Spirit, where they would be endued with power from on high. Jesus is making it clear that the promise of the Father is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had been with them, as Jesus had said in John chapter 14, verse 17. The Holy Spirit was now inside of them, sealing them. Something Jesus referred to in John 14, 17, and then again was fulfilled in John 20, verse 22, when he breathed on them in that closed room. But now Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would also come upon them, not just with them, not just in them, but come upon them not many days after his ascension. It began with a promise. But, but secondly, it was to be waited upon for fulfillment. And, and let me give you some reasons I think Jesus wanted them to wait 
Because if we were to all raise our hands to show if we liked to wait, I think probably all of us would keep our hands down. How many of you are really excited when you have to wait for something? Usually not. But let me give some reasons here. First, I believe Jesus told them to wait because if he hadn't told them to wait, they would have just gone out right away and tried to do all that Jesus had told them to do, but they would have been missing the power to actually carry out all that he had told them to do. Secondly, I believe Jesus wanted them to wait because waiting refines us. It refines us. You know, it's through waiting many times that Jesus humbles us. That he can empty us of self and self-motivation and self-righteousness and, and our own plans at times. So that we can be those vessels of honor that are ready, that are prepared for the master's purposes so that he can pour into us as a vessel and then pour out of us. You know, sometimes we want Jesus to pour in, Lord, pour into my life, Lord, fill me. But we're so full of us, we're so full of our own things, our own plans, our own drive, that he doesn't really have room to pour in. And that waiting oftentimes that Jesus allows us to go through can really boil us down to that base sort of state where it's all Jesus or nothing. That Jesus has got to be you. It's got to be you moving. It's got to be you showing up in my life. Lord, you've got to be the one making these things happen. Lord, it's got to be your power at work in and through me, Lord, or, or I've got nothing. But third, the third reason I believe Jesus wanted them to wait was so that they would be fervently seeking him and be in a place where he would have their full attention and be sensitive and open to whatever he wanted to do in their lives and through their lives. And I believe these three things are often the same three things that Jesus uses with us. And if that's you and you're in that waiting period, the Lord's not forgotten you. It's not that he's not working. It's not that he doesn't have a plan. But there's probably something much deeper and much bigger in this scheme of his kingdom work or even the work individually that God's wanting to do in the depths of your heart that Jesus is actually wanting to accomplish through that time of waiting. Don't lose heart. Keep pressing in to the Lord. Keep waiting upon Him. And, and be confident that He's going to meet you in that place of waiting in His perfect timing. But I want to add to that that the waiting wasn't inactive. They weren't just waiting like on their phones. They weren't waiting like doing their favorite hobby. They weren't waiting 
like just being lazy. Like it was an active sort of waiting. It was a prayerful waiting. They were praying as they waited for the fulfillment of what Jesus said would come, which is what we find them doing in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. They were together. They were waiting and praying in Jerusalem just like Jesus had told them. And in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, Jesus made good on his word. He made good on his promise to send the promise of the Father by pouring out his spirit upon them. But the, the baptism with the spirit, being filled with the spirit of God, didn't end with the passing of the day of Pentecost. No, there were various moments recorded throughout the book of Acts where we see the same, the, these same disciples and others, both Jews and Gentiles, being filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit of God, anointed for ministry even. Which means that the baptism with the Spirit was never meant to be a one-time event in, in the history of the church or in the life of of a believer, but a continual way of living for us as disciples of Jesus. In fact, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, the Apostle Paul went on to write, Don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled. Literally in the Greek, he's saying, continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a word for all of us who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus. Guys, please listen. The baptism with the Holy Spirit wasn't for a short period of time for a specific group of people in the early church, as some believe. No, this promise is still very much for us today. I mean, are we at a greater advantage than the disciples were in the early church? Are we just like, no, we got all the power. We don't need this baptism with the Holy Spirit thing. If anything, I feel like we're at a disadvantage. We weren't around Jesus personally like a lot of these disciples were. We need the Holy Spirit's work, empowering, filling, just as much as Jesus' disciples did. The commission hasn't changed, so the power is still needed the same. You and I can't fulfill the commission of Jesus in our own strength. We can't seek to be a blessing to the church in our own power and our own fleshly efforts. We need the power of the Spirit of God. And during the closing portion of our songs today, I'm going to be off to the side with the prayer team and any, any saved people who want to be prayed over to be filled for the first time or even just filled afresh with the Spirit can come over and we'd love to pray for you to receive the promise of the Father by faith this morning. But the last aspect here of what Jesus' ascension has provided through his spirit is that we have to take note that it is the power from on high. Check out what we're told in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is right after Jesus had said to wait for the promise of the Father Jesus said this in Acts 1.8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This verse, 
which describes what Jesus promised, what the disciples would receive and need so desperately, the, the crucial ingredient needed to fulfill the commission that Jesus gave to go and to make disciples and to, and to baptize and to, and to teach all that Jesus had commanded, also describes how the gospel was going to reach the entire world for Jesus. Witnesses testify, right? If we have any sort of court knowledge, when we think of the word witness, we think of someone who testifies often in court. Witnesses testify. But in order for us to be faithful and effective witnesses in this world who testify about Jesus, we need the power of the Spirit of God. He has called us to the impossible. But he wants to supply us with the power to make the impossible possible so that we in this world around us will know that it's not us, but that it's Jesus working in us and through us so that he gets all the glory. Jesus wants to fill and overflow us with his agape love, the, the fruit of his spirit. He wants to give us victory over temptation and sin. He wants to anoint some for positions of spiritual leadership, for service in his church. He wants to equip and empower and enable us to be witnesses in this world to point others to Jesus Christ. And he wants to give us spiritual gifts so that we would be a blessing and a source of edification to build up others in his church. And all of what we've looked at this morning is because of what Jesus has provided for us through his ascension. His ascension is so powerful. It means so much for you and for me, there's so much encouragement and blessing and confidence and hope to be found as we consider how important this, this ascension of Jesus truly is for us. But before we come to a close this morning, I'm going to give three final things I believe the Lord wants us to take to heart and, and make our response First, we are to worship. You notice that? Jesus' disciples in our passage of Luke, what did they do? They, they returned worshiping. They worshiped. That the joy of the Lord would be our strength. That we would continually love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we would praise and bless our God in the depths of our hearts, with our, with our mouths, with our lives as a spiritual act of worship as Paul talks about in Romans 12 verse 2, that we would be those living sacrifices before the Lord. We are to worship. The second response is that we are to wait. That thing that oftentimes we dislike the most. 
I think sometimes we approach our desire to be filled by the Lord as, as if like, you know, he was going to, like as if we were playing football and we're the, we're the wide receiver and Jesus is the quarterback. Like, Lord, okay, I'm going to keep running. I'm doing my own thing. Lord. I'm way over here. So, Lord, send me that power, Lord. We're so busy. We're so distracted oftentimes. We're so caught up in all the things that we don't make the time to actually receive the things that Jesus wants to give us, the things that Jesus wants to do in us. And that aspect of waiting is a crucial ingredient when it comes to receiving. We want to receive while we're doing things a mile a minute. And he's going, look, I want you to slow down. I want you to spend time with me. Don't treat your time with me like you're scrolling through Instagram. Got some information, got some information. That was a cool picture. Let's swipe through. Moving on. I mean, we can be guilty at times. But to actually slow down and spend time because it's a relationship. Because there's communion, because there's fellowship that Jesus is wanting to have with you and me. And to actually give him the time, to give him our attention, to give him our heart's affection, and to just sit and go, Lord, I'm here. What do you want to do? Even to just be silent for a time and to stop talking and to let the Lord talk to us. To be able to hear and put away the distractions that are constantly, we're inundated with all the time. We wait. We spend time with Him devotionally. We wait for His power to come upon us to enable us to serve and represent Him well. We, we wait with confident expectation that He will meet with us as we wait upon Him because He's made us a promise. But the third response after worshiping and waiting is that we are to witness. We're to witness. All of this isn't just so we just go, man, I feel really good now. I'm going to go do me. Keep to my thing, do my thing. No, there's a witness. There's an outflow that's supposed to have come out of our lives. That we would shine brightly for Jesus in this world. That we would show his love. That we would share his gospel with those that he puts around us. That we would testify to all who would listen about what Jesus has done in our lives. And what he wants to do for them. And if Jesus had done anything in our lives at all, you and I have a testimony to share. We do. And we need to. I'm going to have Julian come back up. In closing, you know, what an amazing thing that 
because our King Jesus ascended back to heaven, we can have confidence that he's gone to prepare a place for us and that he's going to come back for us. Confidence that he ever lives to make intercession for you and for me as our great high priest. And confidence that he's provided us with power through his spirit. You know, Jesus wants to take our lives, ordinary people who have been saved by the blood of Jesus and do something extraordinary that will further his kingdom and bring him glory as his spirit works in and through us each and every day. That maybe there's someone here today and you don't just first have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning, I want to give an opportunity to stand and to be prayed for to receive that free gift of salvation, the forgiveness that Jesus alone offers. If that's anybody this morning and that's you, would you stand where you're at if you need to make that decision for Jesus Christ this morning? Maybe for you, it's this is a moment of recommitment. You know Jesus personally, but maybe, maybe for you, you've been walking in your own strength. You've been living in your own efforts. Maybe you've been caught up with sin even in this morning. The Lord's asking you to return. And if that's you, would you stand? I'd love to pray for you this morning. If that's anyone here today. You know, maybe for some this morning, me sharing about being filled with the Spirit and, and saying that there's an opportunity to be prayed for, you know, maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe this morning you've been recognizing that there's just a dryness to your walk with the Lord, that, that vibrancy or that passion that maybe once was there. It's not really there like it once was, or maybe it's never really been there. And this morning you're going, look, if Jesus is saying there's power from me, he wants to send his spirit upon me, then I want what Jesus has for me. And if that's you, would you stand where you're at? I love to pray for you this morning. Yeah, awesome. Anybody else? Yes. This doesn't mean you're a second-class Christian. This doesn't mean that you're been living in some life of sin. This just means you want the Lord to empower you. You want the, all that the Lord has for you. You want to be filled afresh and anew, maybe today, with the Spirit of God. Anybody else? Yeah. Don't be shy. I'm already standing, but I would be standing if I wasn't here, standing here already. Awesome. I want to pray for all of you guys this morning. I know I said I was going to send you to the side, but you know, maybe, maybe those around that are around each of these people, if you could just lay a hand on them, just kind of come around and we're going to, we're going to pray in that way. And then if there's anybody that needs additional prayer, the prayer team's going to be off to the side, ready to pray with anybody who needs prayer this morning. But let's pray for these people. Lord, we, 
we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your ascension. Lord, we're thankful, Lord, that you've gone to prepare a place for us. And Lord, that you're going to come again, Lord, that where you are, we would be also. Lord, thanks for that promise. Lord, thank you, Jesus, that even now you ever live to make intercession for us as the right hand of the Father, as our great high priest, our advocate, Lord, our mediator in heaven. Lord, thank you for interceding for us. Lord, thank you that you are still ministering even from heaven. And Lord Jesus, thank you that in your ascension, Lord, you've provided us with power through your spirit. Lord, we want to live those spirit-filled lives. Lord, lives that are different. Lord, lives that are consecrated to you. And so, God, these people that have stood this morning, Lord, for each of them, as they they stood saying, "I, I want to be filled, baptized with your spirit. Maybe it's the first time, Lord. Maybe it's the hundredth time. But, Lord, would you even now, God, in this place of humility, in this place of of just saying, that's me, I, I, I want that, Lord. That, Lord, you would send your spirit upon them this morning, God, that you would endue them, you'd clothe them with power from on high. That you'd fill them to overflowing with your spirit. That, God, you would bring a refreshing, Lord, to their lives. Lord, bring revival inwardly, Lord. Create a passion, Lord, a fire within them for you and for the things of you. Lord God, give them victory over temptation and sin. Lord, make them bold witnesses for you, Lord Jesus. And God, would you produce your agape love in each of them. Lord, bless them this morning. Fill them, Lord, this morning, God. And as we sing these songs of praise, Lord, God, would, we, would our response, even this morning and in the coming days, Lord, would we be those who worship and who wait and who witness? God, use our lives for your kingdom and glory. And we thank you, Father. We give you this time of praise and this taking of communion now, Lord. We, we commit it all to you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.